What's up, world? Welcome back to another episode of Just Grow It, the podcast. I'm your host, Big City Gardener. And today we are speaking to Ellen Mary Gardening. Go ahead, say hi, introduce yourself for everybody. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on the podcast first. I've been super excited. And you can call me Ellen Mary, Ellen Mary Garden, Ellen Mary Gardening, whatever you like, just not marry Ellen. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> so basically, I'm a plant addict. I've been gardening my whole life. And I'm an author, a broadcaster, have a radio show and a podcast as well. And hopefully just try and inspire people to love plants. Hey, you do it all. <laughs> you do it all. How do you find time to do all of these things? Well, in all honesty, I have no kids and my husband works away a lot. <laughs> oh, well, that's a lot of time to work there. <laughs> all right. So you say you are a plant addict. How, when did you know that you were a plant addict? When I was really little, we had a kitchen garden. So we had like a, a terraced house, a really long garden. And at the very end of the garden, there was this big blue shed. And my parents used to grow peas and gooseberries and other fruit bushes. And I can't really remember all of the veg there. But what I do remember is I used to go outside and sit down the end of the garden. I used to pinch the peas out of their pods because that's when they like taste the best, don't they, before you even get them indoors. And I used to take the gooseberries off the gooseberry bushes and eat them. And like as like a two-year-old, that taste of a gooseberry like is really shocking. And I used to love it. Like I used to thrive off this, like pulling that weird face when you just had like a really like <laughs> strong gooseberry. And then we had this shed and then underneath the bottom of the shed, there was a gap. And um, I used to sit on the step and always imagine fairies lived under this gap under the shed. And my mum always used to say to me, do not ever go in the shed. That shed is not for children. So I used to think it was because there was something magic about it. And so this is where all of my gardening stemmed from. And uh, later on, I found out the only thing that was going on in that shed was my dad was brewing beer. <laughs> <laughs> all of my like magical dreams were crushed. And then also my uncle had a lovely kitchen garden as well. And he used to send me down uh, to the end of his garden to pick the caterpillars off his carriages because he used to garden organically. This is a long time ago. I'm talking maybe like 35 or so years ago. And uh, he used to give me a jam jar and I used to go out and pick off the caterpillars and pop them in this jam jar. I have no idea where, what happened to the caterpillars. I don't like to think of it now. But um, I've just been hooked basically ever since those days. Okay. Okay. I like that. I like that. So definitely then your experiences young being in the garden, they're what led you down your path of gardening, right? A hundred percent. And I think that's so true of many people. I know lots of people find gardening later in life, but also many people have those memories from when they're young. And even if they don't continue gardening, like, you know, all the way through their teens and 20s until they get their own house or whatever, sometimes those memories come back to you when you have your own garden or mm -hmm. space. So I think it's super important to, you know, really encourage young youngsters to garden, definitely. But I mean, it's stuck with me forever. I've, I've never, I've always had plants around me, no matter what. Nice. Okay, so where, where do you live? Where are you located? At the moment, I'm in Norwich, which is in Norfolk. It's the east of England in the UK. And we live in Charlotte in North Carolina for part of the year as well, which is where my husband is at the moment. So trying to navigate between the two during a pandemic has been interesting. Um, but we're managing it just about. But at the moment, I'm here in England. And I'm sure we'll talk about the weather because, you know, everyone from the UK talks about the weather all of the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's my next question. So what's it like Yay. gardening in the UK weather? I know... Like we were talking about before we started recording, my mom, she lives over in London or right outside of London, and she always tells me about the weather. So you tell me, what's it like gardening in the UK weather? What's that like? Okay, it's interesting. <laughs> it's mostly enjoyable, partially very frustrating. So, you know, I've noticed over the years how the seasons are merging. Like it's a very distinct shift from having spring, summer, autumn, winter, and that can make it slightly more difficult to navigate because the lines are a little bit more blurred now and the temperature is most definitely increasing and we're experiencing a lot more rain. So, for example, you know, we are now towards the end of July and we would usually be growing in the, we'll be in the middle of our season of growing amazing fruits and vegetables that we can grow here. Uh, and it has basically rained for five weeks. 
and that rain and still quite warm air, not warm compared to where you are, of course, in Houston, but warm for the UK, has brought about all kinds of problems. You know, like our potatoes have got diseases like blight and the tomatoes and there's aphids literally everywhere. And so the constant change, you never really know what you're going to get each summer. It could be a long, hot summer. It could be a shorter summer. It might rain a lot. It might not. And that's why I think in the UK, we're allowed to talk about the weather as much as we do, (laughs) because we just never really know what we're going to get, you know? So it's never as hot as obviously there or in North Carolina, where I garden part of the year as well. I mean, that was a learning curve. <laughs> we're in uh, where we're in zone 9a here and in North Carolina it's zone 7b and the difference is like it's massive you know right. so whilst the weather makes huge big kind of impact on on what you grow and how you garden here overall it is pretty cool we can grow a lot more than people imagine you know or what the theory tells you because we've all had a go all right I haven't seen anyone grow an avocado yet though that would be interesting. One day. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure somebody tries it. I'm sure somebody has a greenhouse out there where they have one going. I often see people, you know, trying, but I've never actually seen the av- like it fruit yet. Okay. Never. I've never seen that happen. So, okay. But I should imagine over the coming years that will probably happen. So gardening in the UK is interesting. It, it makes you practice some patience and resilience and tenacity. That is right. for sure. But it's, it's good fun. <laughs> What is your favorite gardening season? Autumn. Autumn, okay. What are you growing in autumn over there? Autumn is when all of like the fruits of your labor are happening. Like you're just coming to the end of some of your harvest, but you're also coming into those amazing like autumn veg. So things like pumpkins and butternut squash, all of like those really big like hearty vegetables that you've spent months and months and months growing. You know, they come to that. I just like... I can ask after all of these years, how have you sown this little seed? And it's become this like massive big pumpkin. Like I love that. But at the same time, you're kind of clearing up because we have, you know, really quite long winters usually. And so there's a lot of things we can't grow over the winter. So it's almost like you're tucking things up. You're keeping things safe and secure and planning what you're going to be doing for the following year. So it's kind of like you're wrapping things up at the same time as still harvesting loads of really cool stuff. And and in here, much like in Virginia, like the trees are all beautiful colors, you know, all of that kind of lovely orange and reds and yellows and browns. And it's just it's just beautiful. Right. So what was that learning curve like whenever you started gardening over in Charlotte? Because I know, like you mentioned, I know the zones are different, but I'm sure that more than just the zones are different. I'm sure the soil is probably different and things like that. So what was that like? Kind of like everything. I was so excited because it was like, you know, for a gardener, it's always good to like learn other stuff. And, you know, there's loads of plants in North Carolina that I'd literally never heard of before. And, you know, when I said I was a gardener to someone, they were like, oh, you'll know what this is or what this is. And I was like, I literally have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) But it looks amazing. So I have a balcony. We have an apartment there. So most things were grown in pots and and containers and like hanging baskets and stuff. So there I am merrily filling my pots with compost and planting them up. And then literally an hour later, they're dried out for a start. And I'm like, I literally just watered it. How did that happen? So it was like this constant water situation then I'm like how but now I'm watering it so much all the water's running off the balcony to the person's balcony <laughs> below I'm like oh my god what am I going to do so I went out and got lots of trays and stood them in trays and watered in the trays and then the tra- all the water from the trays evaporated I was literally okay we have a problem <laughs> first of all it was definitely water um, and the other thing is like the extended growing seasons because obviously the temperature is much warmer for much longer so here successionally sowing would be kind of Maybe you would perhaps start Marchish time and you would probably really only sow your last things like beetroot salads and stuff in July. But of course, in uh, North Carolina, you can carry on going. And, mm-hmm. you know, that was amazing to me. I was like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. Um, so, like, that kind of extended season is just epic. I love that. But yeah, watering is, <laughs> watering just took my breath away, right. literally. <laughs> So what does your garden look like in the UK? So I have a little city house. So I'm right in Norwich City and the front is a really small garden. 
that's just full of plants of pollinators. And then the back garden is paved and it's all pots. And then in North Carolina, it's all pots as well. So I we do a lot of container gardening. But in the UK, we have areas of land that are called allotments. And I lo- lots of people in America ask me what allots- allotments are. It's basically land that is allocated to the community to garden on. So it's like a community garden, but you get a plot of land that is only for you. So it's like your own garden and you pay the local council a really a very small amount of money to have that land. And it has to be cultivated in order for you to keep the land to yourself, if you like. And on that, I have a, a very bright purple shed because I think, why not? No one else has got one on there. That started some rumours when I painted that. <laughs> and I have a greenhouse and some really weird looking scarecrows. And it's basically got everything that I can squeeze in. So all the salads and veg and all the fruit and loads of herbs. I love growing herbs. And I have a mini pond and it's like my haven. You know, I go there to relax. I meditate there and I ground myself there. You know, as soon as I get there, I take my shoes off and walk around on the grass before I even start gardening when it's not pouring with rain. And (laughs) hence why we don't have the water issues usually (laughs) here. Yeah, it's just like my little piece of paradise in the UK. Okay. How big are these allotment plots? Do they vary in size depending on, I guess, I don't know, the allotment or the space? Yeah. So I think lots of different, I don't even know how big my allotment is. I'm going to tell you because I've got it written on my phone. Most allotments are really quite big. You'd be surprised at how much land is allocated, especially in urban areas. They are generally kind of split into two. So more people can garden, which is completely the right thing. You know, the more people that have access to land, the better for sure. Um, So they say that a full allotment is the equivalent of 250 square metres or about the size of a doubles tennis court. Okay. So, you know, it's quite a nice size, you know, piece of land. And I've got that amount, but it's split in two. So I took on another half a plot because no one was taking it on. And it had sat there empty for three years. And um, so they're really nice spaces, you know, for people to use. And the more, the better, because, you know, those who don't have gardens can still get access to land. But we need many, many more because obviously more buildings are going up in the city mm-hmm. with less gardens. And so we need more land for people to access. So you said there was a vacant plot for three years. Do a lot of the plots remain vacant in these allotments or are they usually or is it usually booked up? Yeah, they're usually booked up and uh, often there are waiting lists that in some cities you can wait for years to get your own allotment site. Um, This one hadn't been taken on because you basically can't access it and because it was so overgrown that when they were showing people it, they were saying no. (laughs) But I just thought, well, why not? I'll do it, you know. Um, And I do know Dig as well and that actually made it so much easier too. Yeah, and... I know that there are some allotment sites that are also being sold if they're privately owned. So the whole allotment site is uh, sold to developers to build houses on. Oh, and we're okay. forever getting petitions, you know, up to try and stop that happen. And, and it's quite amazing what the power of people can do because, you know, the petitions have genuinely stopped some from being sold to developers. So, yeah, it's a constant kind of thought in my mind about the land use here we have you know plenty of it but we're building more and more and more and people are are losing access to land that they desperately need to grow so I feel extremely privileged to have those two plots and actually now the second half is much more reasonable for someone to take on I might let someone else take it on we have that same issue here not with allotments but with I don't know, plots of land maybe used to be community gardens or could be community gardens being sold to developers for them to, you know, come build more high rises, townhomes, things like that. So when you say that kind of resonates with me. Yeah. And, you know, if some land is being built on, obviously not, I'm not talking about on allotment sites or community gardens, they should absolutely stay. But if some land is being built on that's viable land that's not taking away land from anyone else or from, you know, good use of that land, then the, I always think those developers should be made to create community gardens or create community spaces that people, you know, can use. 
So yeah, the whole kind of development and using up land is something that really gets me. Yeah, me too. I just feel like it's a waste. Yeah. Well, that's another mm-hmm. conversation for another time. <laughs> uh, <Yeah>. So <laughs> you you say you painted your shed purple. I remember when you were younger, right? You said the story about the blue shed. Do you have anything magical going on in your purple shed? (laughs) I love that you asked that question. (laughs) Oh, this is the funniest thing. Okay, so I painted it kind of like this pinky purple. And actually, my neighbor said to me, I don't know that any, I don't know that everyone's going to like that. And I was like, oh, I think it will be okay. Anyway, everyone seems to have got used to the purple shed. But inside the shed, has been up to this point an absolute tip it is rammed full of stuff so when we moved to charlotte in north carolina i had to empty like our old uh, garage in the shed and everything went in the allotment shed and i've never had time to empty it and literally this last week i started emptying it and i am putting a glitter ball in my shed you're putting a what in your shed Okay, okay. Let's think Saturday Night Fever, John Travolta. Okay. Oh, oh. Glitter ball. I don't, is that what you call it in America? I don't know. Oh, yeah, a disco ball. A disco ball. There you go. Yes, okay. (laughs) Because why not? It's so irrelevant. It's brilliant. (laughs) I like it. I like it. So now you can tell people that don't go in their shed. There's something magical happening in the shed. Exactly. Exactly. I love it. I think I need to do something like that in the shed. <laughs> you should. Just don't free beer, though. <laughs> All right. So what are some of your favorite things to grow? Okay. That's a, like that's the worst question, isn't it, to ask a gardener? I forgot like, you're a plant addict. So let me be more specific. <laughs> <laughs> Please do. <laughs> what are your top three vegetables to grow? And then Ooh. your top three, let's say, fruit or flowers to grow. Okay. Top three vegetables to grow. I would say more recently, I've been growing, I'm going to probably pronounce this so wrong, a chocha or a chucha. I keep hearing it being said differently. It's the Bolivian cucumber. And that I really enjoy growing. It's like a really crazy vine that grows like forever. You need support or trellis or up a wall or something. But you get masses of harvest from that. And if you and they're super, super easy. And I think because it sounds like it has such a tropical name, people in the UK think they can't grow it. But it grows perfectly well here. And it is really vigorous in its growth, but because it's only an annual, it doesn't matter because once you've harvested it all, you can just remove it and put it on the compost heap and start again. And they're super easy to germinate. So I love those. I am keen on beetroot, mainly because I've discovered chocolate beetroot cake. And so now all I want to grow is beetroot. Chocolate beetroot cake? (laughs) Yeah. Write that down. (laughs) <laughs> do honestly it's amazing so i made some at the weekend from a recipe online and i'm vegan so but you can have it either vegan not vegan and i gave it to my mother-in-law who came over and she liked it and if she likes my cooking it means that it's good <laughs> okay <laughs> basically i'm all in for beetroot this year um what other veg? I think I have to go back to butternut squash. I was saying before about like the autumn harvest. I love butternut squash. You know, you can store it for ages. It's just that lovely kind of hearty uh, autumn vegetable. So, yeah, butternut squash. Okay. I don't have good luck with butternut squash. Is it because the different climate? Or how do you yeah. do with pumpkins? Uh, I don't do well with pumpkins either unless, you, oh, okay. unless you're willing in my... I don't know, I guess during my times or my attempts growing it, unless I'm willing to spray any sort of chemicals on there to help stop with the powdery mildew or things like that, I can't really grow them personally. Yeah, I I get that. Yeah, no, I get that. Like, even if we have like a humid summer and our humid summer is not like yours, obviously, they can get powdery mildew. So, yeah, yeah, I can get that. But can you grow melon? Yes, you know, I just, I mean, we can kind of, but they're kind of about this big. Oh, no, we, <laughs> like I, a bite-sized melon. <laughs> no, we can get the cantaloupes or the, the cantaloupes, the watermelons. I'm not very good at growing the honeydew melons, though. 
Right. But the, the yeah, the cantaloupes and the watermelons, no problem. Okay, well, I'm trying to grow some this year, and I've got them kind of under a plastic cover. Okay. I've tried to grow them for years on end. At the end of the day, I never give up hope, but <laughs> probably unlikely. But, you know, I'm still giving it a go. Anyway, <laughs> so my favorite fruits, 100% strawberries. And more recently, I've grown the white strawberries. What are they called? I can't remember, but I think they're also known as pine berries. Maybe. Pine berries, yeah. So they're yeah, oh, they're just so sweet. They taste a bit pineapple-y. They're just amazing. I like raspberries. Here we can grow raspberries in abundance. So that's always a great one to have on the allotment. You'll always get raspberries. And other fruit here, gooseberries. It's got to be gooseberries because okay. that's like a childhood memory, really. Okay, gooseberries. <laughs> all right, all right. I've never had the white strawberries. Or the pine berries, I've never had them. I've just seen them. Well, I've got to admit, they. I thought maybe that was a bit of a novelty. But out of all the strawberries on my plot, they have grown the best. And the birds don't tend to pinch them, so you don't have to net them. Because the birds don't think they're ripe because they don't go red. Okay. So they don't. They just kind of leave them alone. So, you know. And they taste like, they taste like a cross between strawberry and pineapple, which is awesome that's an amazing combination right there (laughs) (laughs) all right so earlier you mentioned that you are an author right let's talk about your latest book this is a new thing for me to say that i'm an author it makes me feel slightly awkward why i have to get oh i don't know it's just so weird like it is something that i've dreamt of doing for a really long time and so when the publisher asked me to write the this book which is part of a series for them, I genuinely was a bit overwhelmed and I've got it next to me. So I, ha- I like literally have it next to me the whole time. I'm like, wow, I wrote this book. <laughs> I sometimes I open the pages and I like look and I'm like, oh, did I write that one? I don't need to say that <laughs> It's like someone else wrote it. It's like, I don't really believe I wrote it. It's amazing. Um, it's been a uh, yeah, it's been like a bit of a lifelong dream, really, to write it. And uh, it's been a, a good, another good learning curve. You know, they keep coming, don't they? Right. And it was just really enjoyable. I genuinely enjoyed it. I, I mean, apart from deadlines, I never felt pressured. I didn't, I only wrote what I knew and what I believed in. The publisher never asked me to, you know, do anything different. And it's basically all about gardening for well-being so it's called the joy of gardening um it kind of takes you on a journey through the year in the garden so kind of like easy gardening tasks and how to relate them to your life like when you're weeding how to consider those weeds as your negative thoughts and throw them on the compost bin when you're done with them and when you're thinning out like practicing your patience and your focus and you know just taking time out of the mad crazy world that we live in right now and focusing in on the moment you know and so it kind of takes you through a journey of the year and not even just gardening but also harvesting and cooking and sharing with your friends and your community and also loving trees you know going out amongst trees i know i don't think you have so many in houston do you uh, no. hey, hey. i feel attacked okay i feel attacked right now we have we have a few trees we have a few trees if That's you journey cool. outside of Houston, you'll see a lot more trees. But yeah, we, we got a few. You have some trees? Yeah. Okay, that's amazing. <laughs> so I'd love you to go and hug a tree then. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, there's a lot about forest bathing and hug, you know how actually hugging trees has proven benefits for our health, especially for children. So, you know, children being outside uh, amongst trees and with nature, really, you know, right. so it's just getting, think more closely about what you're doing in the garden, not just being like a chore. Because obviously lots of people consider it, you know, I've got to mow the lawn or I've got to do this. Like actually enjoy the moment when you're in it. Is this your first book? Yes, this is my first book. Will Um, this be um, your last book? No. No, okay, there it is. Now I'm done, I can't stop. It's like gardening. You didn't (laughs) even start, you can't stop. No, I'm actually currently writing my second book that's going to be due out next spring. Okay, You're, you're really busy. (laughs) <laughs> i know but my husband did just leave for charlotte today so i now have a few months of like completely free time to write a book so. <laughs> there's benefits to living apart 
<laughs> do you do any of your writing at the allotment garden? Uh, I have done, yes. Yeah. So I occasionally, when the weather is nice, uh, go down there and do try to write. I find being at the allotment more inspirational in my thought pattern about how I'm going to write rather than actually sitting and writing. Okay. Because often when I'm there, I'm sitting there thinking, well, I'm now going to write this, but then I'm like, oh, I can see a weed. Or, oh, that needs harvesting. <laughs> or, oh, I must deadhead those. You know, so I kind of can't sit and write because there's jobs to do. So I kind of go there for inspiration more, but I have done some writing there, yeah. Okay, okay. And you said that you always wanted to be a writer you always wanted to write a book I should say did you always want to write a gardening book yeah I think yeah I think it's always been about gardening yeah definitely and I never really knew how or what or what it would be about I didn't I just all I want to do is inspire people to love plants you know if anyone loves plants uh, anywhere near as much as some of the awesome people that I know who you know work in gardening or you know do the kind of thing that you do then that's amazing you know and I genuinely feel that when you learn about plants you just feel much more in connection with like our big amazing planet that we live on and the more people who have that connection I think the better the world would be the better people would be and the more care we would take of our environment yes I agree with everything you're saying. So, right now. Yeah, good. Maybe you should write a book next time. You know, I tried to write a book one time. I don't think I've ever told this story. Here we go. I tried to write a book Ooh, one time. Exclusive. <laughs> but I have a hard time of getting what's in my head down into paper in a way that when somebody reads it, it just flows coherently. Sometimes when okay. I write, things will jump from section to section. And I also didn't put enough respect on the whole book writing process. I think I I didn't take as much time or put as much time into it as I should have or needed to. Okay. I do completely get that. Like as in like your thoughts jumping around, I can honestly say like I brain dump information and then somehow or another pull it together later. And if you're working with a publisher, they will help you to make that into something that's more coherent <laughs> for readers. Um, but with regards to time, it does take so much more time than you imagine. You know, I thought I was like, oh, I've got this. It's fine. You know, yeah. and then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, oh, you know, we're getting close to the deadline now. So, yeah, you do have to if you're going to write the book, you do have to be dedicated to doing it. Um, but you can do it, I'm sure. A hundred percent sure. Because. You know, all the information and experience that you've had, you can absolutely do it and inspire people. And just, I find this really weird thing. I know everyone writes differently, but I literally cannot have anything in the house to do if I want to sit and write. Like my brain has to be completely clear of everything else. Mm. Like if there is washing up, then I can't write. (laughs) I'm like, but there's washing up to do. So I kind of have to really focus on getting everything else done so I can sit with a clear head and write. But I think anyone can do it. If you are passionate about something and you want to inspire other people, you absolutely, you absolutely can do it. It just, it does need some dedication. Yeah. I don't know that I would just want to write a book about, I don't know, gardening. I think your approach, how you relate life with gardening or through gardening, I think that was probably a better approach or approach that would serve me better than just trying to write down and, hey, this is how you, I don't know, grow in a container. This is how you grow in a raised bed. Oh, this is real. I almost feel like a fraud, <laughs> like I'm telling you what to do. Hey, do this, do this. And I don't ever like to tell people what to do. That, you that, know, that sounds like imposter syndrome. Have you heard of that? Yes, I have. <laughs> it sounds like imposter syndrome, but it's like you've got experience that people really enjoy you know, and it's not necessarily about telling someone, it's just about inspiring someone. It could be like, hey, I've done this, you know, and it worked, you know, why don't you try it? Rather than being like, you you know, like the theory of gardening is you should pot, up, seed your, sow your seeds on this day, yes. you should water on this day. <laughs> Never mind all of that. Like, you know, just be you. I think if I took that approach and yeah, I could, I could probably write something. Well, Hey, your listeners heard that exclusive here first, and they expect the book soon. (laughs) 
maybe a publisher will be listening and then I'll get an email once this comes out and they'll say, hey, absolutely. let's write a 100%. book. 100%. Fingers crossed. <laughs> I don't know if I want to cross my fingers for that, you know, because <laughs> then I might have to actually do it. So we'll just say, we'll see if the universe presents it to me. Absolutely. What will be is meant to be, and it will come to you officially. Yes. I need to write that down. That was good. All right. So (laughs) talk to me about the radio show. What's it called? And and how did you come up with the idea to start a radio show? So it's on a community radio station, which is in Norwich here, and it's called Future Radio. And it's basically a channel that connects with the local community and we do loads of different shows. So not just my gardening show, but there's music shows. There's a new show, which is about uh, mental health for men because it's like such a big um, issue. It certainly is here in the UK. The statistics for male mental health is on the increase. And so we have a show specifically dedicated to that. We also have like a vegan radio show. We have like some really cool music uh, with local artists. So there's loads of different stuff going on. Um, Actually, it was a couple of years ago, and I used to present on a TV channel called Mustard TV. So Norwich in Norfolk is known for Coleman's Mustard. And (laughs) you can even buy Coleman's Mustard in Houston because I've seen it on the shelves. And so there was a TV, a local TV channel called Mustard. And I used to present the gardening uh, show on there. And so from that, someone had contacted me from Future Radio and said, would you like to come in to talk about doing a radio show? And I actually thought I'd much prefer to be behind the microphone. (laughs) I could go in scruffy, not worry about what I look like. You know, I could sit back and have a drink when the music's on rather than smiling (laughs) to the camera. I was like, I love this idea. Um, So, yeah, I went along and I'd done like a demo. It was okay, And uh, they said, would you like to do it again? (laughs) So I done a second demo. Anyway, it all went fine from there. And now it's on every other week uh, on a Thursday afternoon, and then it's repeated on a Saturday. And whilst it is based in Norwich, you can actually listen to it anywhere in the whole wide world because you can listen to it on their website online, which is futureradio.co.uk. Futureradio.co.uk. Yeah. Okay. And how long have you been doing the show? I've been doing it a couple of years, actually. Last year, during the lockdown and the pandemic, I was in Charlotte for most of it. And I had to, I'm rubbish at technology. And I somehow had to download this software. It was like a big stress. Thankfully, my husband knew what he was doing. And I actually recorded from my closet in Charlotte in my apartment. So the show must go on and all of that. But yeah, it's been a couple of years. And It's just one of those amazing things where you get to interview people who love plants, you know, and I learn stuff all of the time. Like I learn from people and feel inspired by people. So I always just feel like it's a privilege and selfishly for myself because I get to meet these amazing people, but also just to be able to broadcast gardening, you know, to just continue to try and inspire people to buy their first houseplant or, you know, sow their first carrot seeds or, you know, just to give it a go. Okay. So first question, your top three favorite interviews that you've done on the radio. Do you know who they are? Okay, top three favorite interviews on the radio. I think the actually the uh, this is a recent one. I interviewed the drag queen gardener. Never heard. And uh, the drag queen gardener, he he's called Tom and he is Daisy Desire in drag. And he's kind of like hit the horticultural scene in the UK big time over the last few months, even, or certainly since lockdown. He told me the story that he used to go by these allotment sites daily. He always used to wonder what was going on, you know, what that's all about. And then he got dumped. And the next day he went and signed up for an allotment site. And he's been hooked ever since. And from there, he decided he just wanted to have some fun, do something different, like on Instagram and whatnot. So he started to get into drag. And he's created Daisy Desire. And Daisy does hang out on the allotment in her pink boots and (laughs) looks absolutely amazing. But I love it when you interview someone who's like so enthusiastic and brings something completely new into horticulture. You know, like certainly here in the UK, like I don't actually know or haven't ever seen anyone else gardening, um, certainly 
putting it out there on Instagram and such like in drag and doing it with such panache you know <laughs> like it's it's just it's awesome so I really enjoyed interviewing him um I don't even know if I could pick another two because I could probably talk like literally for another hour about guests okay. but you know I love interviewing local community because people from the community garden for example we have one called Grapes Hill where I've done some work at and it's always I'm always in such admiration for people who you know, work on projects we do. We, I say we, the gardeners there have worked on supporting asylum seekers and refugees and families that live in poverty. And I think those community gardens are so important. And being able to just even be in those people's presence who who work, you know, with such dedication uh, to help local communities, that's always special to me, you know? Yeah, I agree. So you keep mentioning about inspiring people when it comes to gardening. Why is inspiring people so important to you? Or where did this desire to want to inspire more people to start gardening come from? Oh, we're going to get deep now. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, cause you told <laughs> me about deep. the blue shed. So now I got to get Ooh. deep too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've always loved plants, as you can tell. And um. It wasn't until when I left school, nobody told me I could work in horticulture. When I spoke to my careers teacher, she said, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I love plants. Like there wasn't anything else. I didn't know what else there was. And she said, well, you could be a nurse or a teacher. And I was like, well, okay, what, you know, what's that got to do with plants? Like I, so I just figured at that age that there wasn't anything in horticulture. And then um, I ended up working in an office. I just got a job, worked in an office, ended up working in HR and it became really stressful. Like it was a tough job, you know. And then we moved house and I took on my first allotment, um, my allotment plot. And I started to realize that I was desperate to get there after a day in the office. I just wanted to get to the plot. And I realized that at the end of, say, an hour or so on the plot, I felt like I'd reset, like my body, my brain, everything had like reset. Like I was able to go back into work the next day. It's like all the stress just disappeared. And then during those same days, I had like quite a life-changing um, health condition and an operation that kind of completely changed the course of where I thought my life would go. Okay. And the recovery from that genuinely was down to gardening. So I'd gone into hospital, had this operation. I'd got out about four or five days later and in my dressing gown, the first thing I'd done was walk straight through my house, straight out into the garden, straight to my herb bed. Those herbs needed pruning. <laughs> and my husband was like, dude, you've literally just got home from like a major operation. I was like, but you didn't cut back the herbs. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, but I needed it, you know. Right. And so that was so important in my recovery. And at that point, it was when I really started to kind of delve into the well-being benefits of gardening, like doing some research, doing lots of reading, like I knew I felt good, but I wanted to know why, why, like overall, this was a great thing to do. And because I know how much it's helped me in my recovery and in my life, and I've seen it with my own eyes, how it has helped other people, like at the community garden and around the local environment, that I just find it like so important that people connect with nature because that's our intrinsic link to well-being. That's the intrinsic link to how we can positively change this planet for good, both with people, mental health, physical health, our whole like empathetic approach to the environment. Like I genuinely believe the key is to be able to get people outside in the garden or and loving plants because that's where it can all begin. So it's sort of like a mission now <laughs> to get um, that done. <laughs> so I agree with everything you just said. And I feel like I'm somewhat on that same mission. My goal, like you, is just to inspire people to garden. Because, yeah, like I said, I agree with you. I know that once you get outside in the garden, a lot of your concerns and worries or things that you think are important, you'll realize that they're not actually as important as you're making them. A hundred percent. We're not really our thoughts. You know, our thoughts are this thing, but we are so absorbed in them. But when we go to the garden, we can detach from them and we can recognize that actually our thoughts aren't real. They're just our thoughts, you know, and being out in the garden, I think we just realize actually who we are on this planet. We are 
another species amongst all of the billions of species on this planet. We are no different. We are the human species, but we're no different to plants, fish, animals, viruses. We are just another living being. And I truly believe that when you go into the garden, that you can start to understand that better. True, true. You just mentioned the virus. So I want to know that since this pandemic began or since the pandemic started, have you noticed like an increase in people paying attention to gardening? Yeah, definitely. I know that in the UK, there was some statistic very recently that said there was 320 million more plants sold in 2020 than in years before. 320 million? 320 million more plants sold in 2020. Um, So the population of England is somewhere around about 66 million, I think, something like that. So that's a lot of plants, extra plants (laughs) bought. (laughs) So, yeah, I think pre the pandemic, people, or not everyone, of course, but lots of people have had lost or not recognised how important the being outside in the natural world is or what's just really important to them outside the back door you know that's your own garden and once you take away all that noise that's going on in the world got to get the kids to school got to get study done got to get to work got to cook tea on time or you know whatever it is like all this just stuff that goes on in your head that society dictates you must do you know when you have time I think you start to feel that connection, like you desire it, you need it, because that is the intrinsic thing, like I said before. So a lot more people here I know have most definitely enjoyed their gardens more or gone out for walks, enjoyed going to woodland. I know someone who said to me, oh, we went out for a a bike ride with the kids and we went to this woodland that's literally behind our house and we never even knew it was there, (laughs) you know. It blows my mind, but also it's heartwarming because you think, yeah, you know, if something good has come from this pandemic, then if that is people realizing the importance of the natural world, then that's amazing. So I think overall, yes, I think it has definitely increased. And you only have to look on social media, don't you? There's loads more gardening. Yes. You know, asking questions and it's great. Like, who would know that this kind of positivity would have come out of a pandemic? (laughs) But, you know, that's a good thing. Pre-pandemic, was gardening a big thing in the UK? Yeah, I think it's always been big in the UK. I think we've always been called a nation of gardeners. But what I do know is that we do have an ageing population in the UK. And a lot of that gardening um, has kind of been reserved for the older generation with absolute respect to them. But that's generally what it's been. And I think perhaps for the younger generation, plants and gardening had never been seen as a very cool thing. And now I do believe that we are understanding environmental issues more and young people are being taught in schools now about environmental issues as well. So plants are becoming a bit more high priority, thankfully. So more people, yeah, are definitely kind of coming into the industry. But we've always been a nation of gardeners. But I always feel like people don't, haven't in the past kind of got the bug or recognized it until maybe they bought their first house or got their first garden do you know what I mean or something like that and but now there's a lot more going on you know even if you have an apartment without a balcony or a garden the houseplant trend of course has gone crazy hasn't it like you know that's great because if you've got indoor plants and then one day maybe you have a balcony or a a deck or patio or something you're going to have outdoor plants so it all feeds in you know True. So yeah, we're a nation of gardeners and that's still expanding for sure. I know that one time, I think I told you this, my mom lives over there and outside of London. So I know that when I took the train from London out to where she lived, you kind of go through what I call the countryside. I don't know if it's the countryside. Do you know where Bracknell is? Yeah, I know where Bracknell is. Okay, yeah, well that, that's where she yeah. lives. So when I took the okay. train from London to Bracknell, Am I going through the countryside? Can I call that the countryside? I think that's on the line, to be fair. Oh, okay, well. <laughs> Perhaps you might see a little bit of countryside. Uh, I guess it depends on what train you took as well. But actually, there is some amazing countryside outside of London. <laughs> we have a lot of beautiful countryside in the UK. I'm glad that you got to see a little bit of it. Yeah, and I saw a bunch of I saw gardens everywhere. When I was on the train, 
I was going back and forth on each side and I just kept seeing gardens everywhere. I saw greenhouses everywhere. And I was just impressed and amazed that so many people gardened. So when you say that you're a nation of gardeners, yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I um, I read somewhere very recently that in the UK, something like 80 something percent of households have a garden. That's lower in cities. So in London, it's somewhere around 60 percent, of course, because of the urban environment and the high rise buildings. But if you think in the UK overall, we're not that big an island. So 87 of households with gardens. That's quite a lot. Yeah, it is. It definitely is. So you mentioned that it is an aging population with gardening in the UK. So how do we get or how do you get more younger people interested in gardening? Well, in the early days when I kind of started doing the TV show and the radio show, I can always remember saying like, you don't have to be in a check shirt and jeans and digging up potatoes to be a gardener, you know. I actually do have some check shirts, to be fair, <laughs> but I'm aging, so I'm allowed. But <laughs> I think it's just trying to dispel the myth that gardening is only for after retirement, you know, because it doesn't have to be time consuming. So it's generally been seen as something, you know, you need to have a lot of time to do. Because as, you know, the years have gone by, gone by, there's more research, there's more technology, there's more equipment available. You know, there's new varieties of plants that grow easier in, you know, better climates and such like. There's so much more education. You can go online. Like you can literally Google something, can't you? Not that the advice is always spot on, but it's <laughs> better than nothing usually. And we have social media. And, you know, as you know, you know, the younger, I always say the younger generation, like they're another group of people, which they are not. We're all people. But younger people use social media, right. whereas in days gone by, like the older generation didn't have that. You would go to the library to learn. Um, you know, that, and it would take longer. And it, I think that's why, you know, and you would have to have a lot of money to save up for a house to have a garden. So I think really it's about really putting people out there and just saying, hey, look, you can do this. And it doesn't have to be hard and it can be fun. And we need more personalities, you know, just saying, hey, look at me. I've just planted this container in my tiny back garden and I've grown a sunflower, a butternut squash, whatever it might be. Hey, look at my carrots. Just to make it look easier. Hey, look yeah. at my carrots. That sounds really <laughs> ominous, doesn't it? I, <laughs> just like, I think we just need to take it more easy. Just chill, you know, just, right. just enjoy it, you know, just chill. Just right. have a go. You just mentioned social media. My, my next question was going to be, what are your thoughts on the, like the gardening scene on social media? Well, from what I've experienced, it's always been pretty positive. Right. I've met some really good friends through it, you know, who are plant lovers. You know, when I was younger, I didn't have Instagram and I thought I was the only person in the world that liked plants, you know. <laughs> I was like, and then I joined Instagram. I was like, oh, my gosh, there's like a whole world of people out there that love plants. This yep. is cool. Yep. Um, so I think it's really opened up the world to people. Um, you can learn about plants from all over the world and you can educate and you know just have some fun and be inspired and just you know really see that gardening is more than just having a big lawn and some plants planted right. around it you know it's it's much bigger than that and I think social media really does that and I think it's really good fun personally you know and I know some people that you know will get some negativity on social media but I find in the gardening world that's uh, very low level if I ever have anything it's usually because I've said I'm vegan and as soon as I say I'm vegan I get a whole load of ah, what about this what about this and um which you know it's fine it starts conversation and anyone who's rude I just block but <laughs> I'm very harsh about that's it. the best part about um, it yeah it's that's true it's, that's so true but I think overall the gardening community is amazing on social media and you know hey without social media we wouldn't be having this chat now that's very true we? that's very true I'm all good with it. Okay. Talk to me about the TV show because we talked about the book and the radio show, but we haven't mentioned the TV show. <laughs> this is Mustard TV. Mustard TV. <laughs> Mustard TV. 
Mustard TV, to be fair, was probably the start of my of my broadcasting, if you like. You know, that's how I learned to produce and present and where most of the writing came from. So I write for magazines and stuff before I'd, I'd done the book. And it was a low-budget local TV station. Okay. But I'll tell you something, they had great fun. Like, the team were hardworking and we had a really good laugh. And if it wasn't for that TV show, <laughs> that TV show, like, I giggle at it now. There were some funny moments, but um, if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be where I was today. And I'm super grateful, you know, for the opportunity to be able to do that. And all the very many things I've, I do now, like once upon a time, I would have been way too embarrassed to do this interview with you. You know, the first time I went onto Mustard TV, my palms were sweating. <laughs> like I was literally like, and then the next time they asked me to go on, I was like, I'm going to have to wear a different shirt because I think my underarms were sweaty. Like I was that nervous. <laughs> Hey, I know that feeling. I know that feeling. <laughs> it's horrendous, right? <laughs> but you do get used to it. And I realized over time that that was my opportunity to be able to reach a bigger audience, you know, about plants and gardening. So I'm very thankful for that opportunity, albeit it was different. Yeah. <laughs> How long were you on mustard TV? When you say mustard, we're talking about the condiment, right? Like ketchup and mustard. Yeah, that's okay. exactly what we're okay. talking about. Yeah, I think it was like a, a kind of the use of the word twice, like mustard as in mustard, commas mustard was uh, made in Norwich, so mustard, but also, you know, like we say mustard as in, oh, that's ace, that's really cool, that's really great. It's like, oh, it's mustard, right? So I think it was like a double thing going on there. I didn't know. I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to say that to my mom when I call her. <laughs> She'll say, what are you talking about? It might only be a Norfolk thing because of the whole mustard thing. I don't know. And I was on there for a couple of years and it was good fun. All right. Let's talk about your podcast. What's it called and how long have you been doing the podcast? It's called The Plant-Based Podcast. We've been doing that for a couple of years now. Uh, that's with my co-host, Michael Perry. Uh, most people know him as Mr. Plant Geek and Mr. he's the plant, plant geek. geek i'm the mr plant geek yeah he's the plant geek i'm the plant addict um <laughs> whenever like chat about him i say he's like my partner in plants okay so like you know like your partner in crime and definitely not your partner in life <laughs> he's like my partner in plants okay. and we decided we were just chatting and we both you know wanted to basically use any media that we possibly could to spread the word about plants and just how we incorporate plants into our lives so that's not just gardening you know the plant-based podcast is about the clothing made from plants it could be we actually interviewed someone who is making construction materials from hemp okay you know like it could be any which way that plants are being used and we even done an interview with an awesome awesome journalist called Nellyfa and she does some really, really good journalism where she goes off. She's been in Afghanistan, nearly got kidnapped. Um, she's done some epic stuff. And she, we asked her what was like the one place that she went that really changed how she views things. And she said it was the seed bank in Norway. Oh, my gosh. I hope it's Norway. Norway or Sweden or some. Yeah, I think it's Norway. So it's the World Seed Bank. I know it. So if. Yeah. So yeah. she just said she she saw that and she thought, wow, this is how we survive. This is, you know, this is what will hopefully keep the human species alive. And she was like, that was epic. So, you know, we've interviewed lots of people and it's just all all about plants any which way we can, <laughs> basically. Um, and it's been number one in iTunes hey, uh, in the UK hey. um, for hobbies and leisure. Yes, that's really exciting. And um, yeah, we've. Uh, do you know Chris Packham at all? Do you know Chris Packham? I do not. Okay, so he's like a probably much better known in the UK, but he's an environmentalist here. He does loads of TV presenting. He's very inspirational. He is always promoting, you know, good environmental practices, should we say. And we interviewed him, and I can remember watching him on TV when I was a kid. So to go to his house and sit in his garden was like how did this happen <laughs> like what happened here like what steps happened in my life to get me to sit at his table and he's talking to us about his like wildflowers and the bees and the birds and I'm just like I don't know what happened here but this is amazing <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, anything to do with plants, and that's the plant-based podcast, and we just love it, basically. <laughs> that's cool. I like it. I like it. You said his name was Chris Packham? Yeah, Chris Packham. He does loads of really cool environmental stuff, does lots of TV presenting, and when we were leaving, he noticed there was a wasp nest in an outbuilding. And he took us over to see this wasp nest and he was showing us how they like spit on the wood and uh, then peel away the wood to build their nest. Like I did not know this. And I was like, Chris Packham is literally talking to me like he talked to all the kids on TV <laughs> when I was little. This is like the best thing ever. <laughs> see, that's that's the beauty of gardening. It'll take you, I don't know, some crazy places. A hundred percent. You know what I do believe is whatever your passion is, and I hope everyone listening, it's gardening, of course. But whatever your passion is, you must follow it because yeah. you never know where that will take you. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think, you know, gardening has been my passion for a long time, but I didn't get serious and then start trying to do the whole Big City Gardener, the podcast and all of that until recently. And I would say that following my passion has given me some pretty cool opportunities in life that I probably would never have, you know, never been presented with. Oh, that's amazing. Like, would you, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Oh, I like. Wow, this cool. is the first person to do. All right, let's go. <laughs> what inspired you then to start Big City Gardener? Like, what, at what point did you go, yeah, I'm going to do this? So I have a very close friend. He's more like a brother by the name of Chance Foreman. And he's really the one who pushed me to get onto Instagram or I don't know. I was just kind of in between doing different things. And I've always really enjoyed gardening. And Chance and I have had some great conversations in the garden. And he always says, like, every time he would come over to my house, I'd take him outside and we would talk outside. I think it was just listening to him. He kind of he told me to do it or, or suggested that I should do it. And then I got on Instagram and I realized that there wasn't a lot of people my age, my ethnicity talking about gardening. And I've always thought gardening was cool, but I know that a lot of people like it was a secret that I, I kind of kept when I was younger. I didn't let people know that I enjoyed gardening because I didn't think <laughs> they would think it was cool. They think I was lame. So, Welcome to Plant Addicts Club. <laughs> <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> so I think once I got on Instagram and I just kind of got over the fact of, I don't know, like I had never used Instagram or social media prior to this. So when I got past the idea of my dislike for social media at the time, <laughs> then I realized that, hey, this isn't necessarily about me. I could do this. And people who think gardening is cool, who are younger and who might be afraid to express their love or joy or passion for gardening maybe me doing this will help them be able to just, you know, live their truth to do what it is they love, enjoy, and I don't know, instill some confidence in them or something. That's a hundred percent amazing because you're following your passion, you know, at the end of the day, but you said a few things like, Oh, I'm turning on the podcast interview. Let's go. <laughs> Sorry. But you said like a couple of things that, that completely are true. I think, you know, the more people that are promoting gardening, the more younger people will, will realize that actually it is completely fine to love plants. And actually, it's very cool and so important for the future of our environment anyway. And um, so I hope that that's changing from like when we were younger, perhaps, like you said, you didn't want to, you know, seem lame because you like plants. <laughs> no one ever knew I loved plants, you know, when I was young. So, you know, I think hopefully that's changing. I think you've proved that you're not lame also. Um, and the other thing is like the whole approach with different ethnicities in gardening too, because horticulture, certainly in the UK, has not been very diverse. Or I tell you what, it is diverse, but the media doesn't represent it as diverse. Yes. You know, and so the more people who are on Instagram, you know, showing that, hey, you know, we can all do this, then that's, you know, that's so important and representing all the different ethnicities and all the different backgrounds and all the different knowledge, you know, is I love social media for that. So thank you so much for uh, being a plant addict. I, I, <laughs> thank you for asking me a question. That was, <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't prepared for that. I couldn't help it. Sorry. <laughs> so my last question was going to be, what do you love about gardening? But I think you just kind of answered it. 
with what you just <laughs> said, but I, I just agree with everything you said, though, that I think gardening, there's just so much information, right? Because it doesn't come from one place. Every culture all around the world gardens and everybody has their own names for vegetables and fruits, their own growing practices, their own seasons. So everybody just has so much information. So I love the idea of, you know, telling people how I do things here in Houston and then hearing how people do things in the UK and how people do things in Australia and just a bunch of different places. And then we can find the, uh, you know, the commonalities between them and then just talk about the differences, but realize that gardening just connects everybody from all backgrounds all around the world. I just love it. A hundred percent. I completely agree with you. I think we're so definitely thinking the same thing with all of that. And, you know, social media has definitely opened that world up and we really need to keep going on and, you know, expanding that, expanding the knowledge, expanding the diversity, expanding, um, you know, youngsters access as, as well. Like, I mean, there's so much, you know, we there's not enough land, you know, there's education, there's poverty, there's so much, there's so much that links into horticulture. But I just think that we can improve it even just a little by using social media. Yep. And hopefully we can change the world because I think yeah. you mentioned it earlier that to me, a lot of it starts with gardening. So getting more people interested in gardening, we're, uh, we're going to win. And the world should be I, a better I place. Completely with you on that. A hundred percent. All right. Now here comes the fun part. Not that this whole interview wasn't fun, but the, the <laughs> next fun part of the interview. This is called the rapid fire section. I need some cool sound effect that I can hit before I say rapid fire and boom, 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 boom. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great sound effect that, yeah. I would have to look into finding these sound effects. I'm going to ask you random questions that I thought about or that might pop in my head right now, and you answer them. Okay. Right, you here. said this is the fun part, but I've been really scared. <laughs> well, that's how I felt when you turned around and asked me a question on the show. <laughs> All Sorry. right. What is your least favorite thing to grow? Peas. Peas. I just can't grow them. Oh, you can't grow them. Okay. No, okay. it's just so annoying. I get really frustrated. I don't know. Pigeons eat them or they just don't grow. Teens. Okay. If you could live anywhere in the world, where would you live? Anywhere. Singapore. That's a great answer. <laughs> have you seen all of the greenery in Singapore? So, oh, my gosh. I have. I have. That's on my list of places to go. I think it's Singapore. Maybe it's Thailand. Singapore is over that way. Yeah. And it's just amazing what they've done in the city you know everything is green yeah like it's just a dream you know so yeah singapore although i wouldn't like the heat so much <laughs> do you like if you could take a vacation anywhere would you go to snowy mountains or would you go to a beach the beach okay but it depends <laughs> i can't answer these questions oh my gosh like the beach because it's been raining here forever so okay. if we were in a hot, sunny period right now, I'd say the snowy mountain. You said snow, okay. So, you know. Okay, okay. If you had to eat one vegetable or food item with every meal, what would it be? And I don't know if that's Bro a good question. I don't know if I would. Broccoli. It. Broccoli? I literally could live off broccoli. I love broccoli. Really? Breakfast, lunch, yeah. and dinner? Yeah, and I even dip it in tomato ketchup. Do you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, right. Then try that broccoli. I don't, I'm not sure I recommend it to you. <laughs> it's just a thing. I love broccoli, and if I've had a few days where maybe I've had not such good food, or I've not eaten properly because I've been on the run or whatever, all I want to eat is broccoli. All right, go figure. <laughs> okay, so I think this will be my last question. You split your time between the U.S. and U.K. What are some phrases or words that people use in the UK that they don't use in the US and vice versa that kind of threw you off when you first heard them? Okay, so I'm going to go in US first. It, first of all, it's route. So we say route, like what route are you taking? Yeah, like along the road or whatever. And people are like route. And I'm like route. I, I don't I don't I don't get it and also acclimate 
Like that was one that I honestly did not get. A- what what does acclimate mean? <laughs> Obviously, here we say acclimatize. But yeah. um, I've got to just tell you one of my, like I absolutely love this. And when I'm in Charlotte, I say it to everyone just because I love it. Is I love people when they say hey girl like it's a real deep southern like girl girl i hey girl. Oh, love that that's the best ever okay um in the uk what do we say that they don't say cutlery okay. do you don't use cutlery do you use cutlery oh no but use... i like forks and knives and yeah, yeah. so uh, cutlery I think we've asked for oh and also I don't know if this is because we live in the south so the accent is slightly different but if I ask for water uh generally not recognized but if I say water yeah. then that's recognized <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like can I have some water please and they're like huh and I'm like can I have some water please you know like a bottle of water and like huh and I'm like water and they're like oh yeah uh, oh, water yeah yeah, yeah. okay <laughs> okay that's cool all right well that's it for the rapid fire section that wasn't too bad thank you no i'm not sweating i'm not sweating like the first time i was on mustard tv so that's great all right so will you let everybody know how they can get in contact with you and where they can find you online please Sure. So my website is ellenmarygardening.co.uk and I'm on just about all social media channels going at um, Ellen Mary Garden or Ellen Mary Gardening, either it will come up. And I have just more recently started doing TikTok. And so I'd love it if people would follow me on there because I haven't got that many followers yet. <laughs> Pains me, but I'm really enjoying it. I'm super enjoying all the craziness of TikTok. So um, yeah, just look up Ellen Mary Gardening. I'm sure I'll, I'll be there somewhere. And I love chatting about gardening. I'm always happy to help too. Cool. Well, thank you for coming on the show. And thank you for asking me a question in the interview. That was cool. <laughs> You're so welcome. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I've had a really fun time. So I really appreciate it.